a Mitch and Jeremy exclusive. Are you ready? On air. Online. Are you ready to have a good time? On your smart speaker and wherever you stream. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. The Mitch LaFon and Jeremy White Show. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews and episodes on demand now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of it. Very excited to be talking to Tiger Tales, their big song Love Bomb Baby, featured in the new series Peacemaker on HBO Max, which is available now streaming around the world and in Canada on Crave TV. You get it on HBO Max across the U.S. and around the world. Uh, welcome to the show, Mr. John Pepper from Tiger Tales. How you doing, man? I'm really good. How are you guys? Oh, we're good. great. We're great. Uh, it's really cool to see Tiger Tales, Tiger Tales making a bit of a comeback in 2022 on this big TV show. Uh, talk a little bit about that and uh, having the song in the TV show. Well, <laughs> comeback. So I don't know. We never really went away. I mean, this is right. one of these things. You, 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 you exist in your own... Um, it's like the Pacific Ocean, you know. I mean, everyone ex- exists on their own islands these days, and um, <laughs> you, you exist there, and the rest of the world goes on around you. Um, James uh, Gunn, the, the director of Peacemaker, Suicide Squad, and all the great stuff, he uh, was into our band, into our song, and, and he playlisted us. You know, he's always generating his own playlist. He's a big fan of all sorts of music, but like hair metal stuff. And um, I think it was back last year, he, he playlisted us in uh, amongst many bands, and then. We just got contacted that, uh, you know, he wanted to use the, the one track, well, maybe two tracks. It ended up being one, but um, the Bomb Baby in, in that new Peacemaker series. So, yeah, very cool. It's pretty amazing how, you know, you talk about that, uh, you know, the band never really went anywhere and you sort of just exist on your own. I mean, you know, it starts in like 1990. You got Don Airy playing keyboards and all this stuff. Uh, talk about Don and talk about the history of the song a little bit. Oh, wow. Well, um, it was our second album where we were on Music for Nations at the time. So we were here with like Metallica and all those great bands and Anthrax and kind of mostly heavy bands. We were like, even though they signed Poison later, that was like a licensing deal. We got signed to Music for Nations as like a direct sign-in. And um, first album, we had really no money to make it. Second album, Berserk, we wanted the big budget thing. We were into like big producers and we got in um, Chris Tangaridis, who'd done amazing albums you know ynt's mean streak he did Thin Lizzie, everything uh, from black sabbath to samantha fox i mean uh, the guy was all <laughs> over the place yeah he was all over yeah. the place and one of the greatest and of course uh, he passed away a few years ago uh, talk to us about working with him though yeah uh, chris was like the nicest guy in the world honestly he was i mean we spent we were supposed to be in there for like a month uh, we ended up there being in three months in the studio. Bear in mind, at the time, it was costing £1,500 a day. I know, like $3,000. Oh, the, the recoupment day. costs must have been yeah. delightful. We had to it sell like a million just, singles just to pay for the catering. I mean, I'm not kidding, man. That's exactly what it was like. We were choose to be in there for, for one month. We ended up being there for three. And then we had to know we were still nowhere near finished. And, it, and anyway, Chris had to leave then. He had another project. I think he was going to do um, uh, the, the Turbo Lever album for, um, was it a painkiller for the Priest yes. album? He was booked to do that. So he had to go. And we were like, well, we haven't finished. We're nowhere near finished. We had to take the tapes to another studio back in Wales. We did more. Came back, ended up being then like another, I don't know how many months. And in the end, the record company came out. I remember, forget it. Martin Hooker, it was like Simon Metallica. He came up, he just said, enough, enough, enough. Finish, finish this week or whatever it was, <laughs> and we just we had to wrap it up. And you know, it's classic case of you spent like I don't know what we spent at that time, something like a hundred thousand dollars or pounds, 
Um, and we mixed it in like three days, which was a travesty, really. But, you know. Wow. Imagine all that. And we had tapes, man. We had, we had like, it started off, we went there because it was um, it was Great Linford Manor, it was called. It was a 32-track digital studio, which was cutting edge at the time. So instead of your standard 24 reel-to-reel tape, it was 32-track. Um, we instantly ran out of those. So then they had to bring a guy in and then link up a 24-track. So we ended up being two machines together. So every time we were going to do an overdub, they both had to sync up. It was like, wow. Oh, before yeah. you could do any but yeah but chris the reason it took so long is because all we would ever do all day was talk rock and roll yards because <laughs> between all of us it was ridiculous i mean we would literally get to like two three four in the afternoon we hadn't done anything you know we were just sitting there chatting and wow. anyway don airy was like a, a big um a big friend of his a, a close friend of his and, and he, we were just so into this is where tiger tells differs i think from a lot of the hair metal bands we weren't into we were into the, like some of the, the, the kind of typical music, but our main influences were like, you know, Ozzy and, and Sabbath and the Priest. Stuff. And, yeah, like seriously. And, and and our music, I know everyone immediately latches onto those like singles, but it ain't that. And Don came in and he got it straight away. We're into Randy Rhodes and won that sound, won the string section from Yeah, you want the Mr. Mr. Crowley, Crowley and, organ. and Yeah, man, I've got him on tape sitting there at the piano playing it all and, and we're singing along. It is insane. You know, that, that wow. was by overriding memory, we, we had him there for like a week. And he was just the most professional guy. He listened to every song. He completely got what we wanted. Came back a week later with all his gear and just did it. And, he, and I mean, he, he scored. We got string sections in. We went to Battery Studios where they did like Back in Black. And oh, wow, yeah. Def Leppard Records. And he had a whole orchestra. And, and, and this is where I think we, as a band, we musically, we don't fall into that kind of Sunset Strip thing. Unfortunately, what happened for us, like unfortunately, it depends how you look at it, the whole image thing, as soon as that happened, we were we were assigned that role. And then instantly people, a lot of people couldn't get past that. You know what I mean? Right. And, and it becomes your nemesis almost like you. Well, uh, just quick, quick, quickly talk to me about that then. Because you have said in, in previous interviews that the image, people judge you by the image and not the music. Mm. Then why not change the image? Why not just say, okay, fine. You want jeans and a t-shirt? We'll give you jeans and a t-shirt for crying out loud. I think once, well, what happened was, I mean, this, I'm going right back to some of the, the early days. We were as a band, we were together in Wales, um, you know, which is like a backwater musically, even though there's a lot of great bands come from it. Um, before the Manic Street Preachers, before Stereophonics, we were kind of getting together and we we were into um, like Van Halen and stuff like that. I suppose they were the, the nearest you could get at that point to like an image band. David Roth would tie bits around him and stuff. But um, we... Basically, we got Stevie James in the band, and he'd been to L.A. for a short period, and he'd seen um, Poison. This is before Poison even signed. I'm going back like to early 80s stuff. And he'd seen him in a club, and he came back, and he, he said, you know, when we got him in the band, he's like, well, we need to look like that. Of course, we embraced it because we were kind of into that thing. But musically, not like a million miles away. But the trouble was, as soon as we did that, everybody wanted to know so we did a kerrang the long and short of it is we did a kerrang uh interview and they did these super pictures which looked amazing and we went from like nothing overnight to like playing a marquee show uh, a few days later we were on support of a band called tokyo blade wow. and the whole place was just rammed just from that 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 feature and it, it and that image was it that was it just went boom you know and instantly where everybody wants to talk to you because and times were very different then. It was the whole the, the, the homosexuality. You were instantly like a gay guy. They wanted to know if you were gay, all that sort of stuff. So really? you became interesting, it was, it, you know? It was that like intense. 
Yeah, yeah, it was. Oh, yeah. And, and they, they wanted us for everything. I mean, Pepsi became, if you, I don't know if you guys, you, you probably got Kerrang! and stuff yeah. over there, the magazine. He was like a weekly feature, or we were. They, they were doing stuff. They had him in there modeling the T-shirts. They had him, all of us, doing all sorts. They, anything that was and all stupid stuff that made you, I guess, you know, look a bit goofy or whatever you want to call the term. Yeah. Um, they would wheel us in, you know. And, 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 yeah, it became, like I said, it becomes the... the, the the chain ball and chain around your neck. And then music, you know, from a career point of view, you, you're constrained, you know, and this yeah. is where the UK and Europe differs. It certainly differed then. Um, you guys, I say you guys, Canada and America lap that stuff up, you know, and uh-huh. in the UK, we'd lap up the American bands, but a British band with it. Nah, nah, nah we're not right. thinking of that. Quite well, happy I mean, to look- come and see Poison and Motley Crue come over, but these guys, oh no. I remember yeah. going into yeah. Donington, seriously. And where there's a massive queue and we're walking Donington Festival. It's called Download now. Massive festival. And we'd be like walking from the backstage here. But we would pass, this one time we were passing the queue of hundreds of people to queue at the gates. And people coming out of the line wanted to kick our faces in just because we were who we were. You know, I'm serious. Man. I, yeah. Particularly Pepsi. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, we by were, the way, just, just real quick, you mentioned Pepsi. Um, he passed away, of course, in 20, uh, 2007. Um, yeah. It's kind of cool on Peacemaker that we get to hear his bass, you know, still, you know, it's, it's sort of like a tribute to him. Just, just quickly give me a quick memory of Pepsi and, and the fact that it's nice that in 2022 you can tune into HBO and hear him play. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and, and we did other stuff with that. But yeah, I mean, the track is was recorded. It, it came out in 1990. It was actually recorded in, in 89. Yeah, he's playing it. We He wrote it. We wrote it. Um the song was, yeah, we demoed it for like a year or demoed that album for like a year going into it. And um, it's amazing that just somebody picks up. I know, you know, his longevity, this, this, you know, this, this sort of happens. And suddenly where you weren't cool, you know, 30 years ago, suddenly now you're cool. Because, um, you know, people, somebody like that happens, which James is like, he goes out there on that. So fair play to him. I mean, amazing guy and just such a well-rounded guy in music. Yeah. But we also did actually. We took that you mentioned about the um, you know, Pepsi. We took that a stage further. We actually recorded um, when he passed in 2007. I don't know how much you know about that, but he died from pancreatic cancer, which was horrific. We did it. His wife, then his widow, Sean, is an opera singer in Wales, and she started a charity. and She's very friendly with Bryn Turville. I don't know if you know Bryn, he's a big opera guy. He came in and sung one of our songs that we written with Pepsi, and we actually took Pepsi's bass line and recreate that because we were able to do that digitally. Mm-hmm. So we actually put that out with him singing it, Bryn Turville singing it, and Pepsi's wife Sham with uh, his actual bass on it, which is insane, really. But that's the sort of stuff you can do now. You know? yeah. yeah, with Pro Tools and, and everything running live, you can have anything, yeah. And I'll tell yeah, you why yeah. I know about Thrill Pistol is because you released it on August 27th, 2007, my birthday so i was like oh thank you Tiger <laughs> i got a gift look at that gift. it was my that gift. album was may i tell you that album was hell to do Pepsi was so ill we were and i'm not kidding you we're not joking we were kidnapping him out of hospital uh because he was so ill to come in and do his bits um he was failing he there was nothing really left of him and the hospital said he, he couldn't leave and we would go up and effectively steal him away for a few hours and take him back later on. And um, but I mean, even that came to an end. Then we fell out with the studio guy. He closed because uh, it was just so difficult. You were like on the cold face, you know. And how that album even got made, I don't know. But, um, wow. Yeah, crazy, really difficult times. But that said, I mean, the, the charity, the pancreatic charity that his wife set up, raised oh, 
God, I don't know, like 300, half a million or something. And it pays for nurses and research in the stem stem cell, uh, you know, research hospitals here in Wales. So, I mean, if it's any positive out of it, it's that, you know, and, and all good stuff that's come about out of it. So Yeah, pancreatic yeah, cancer yeah. is a bitch, man. I mean, there's no cure. And it's just so quickly onset that, like, once it starts running, that's it. You know, six to nine months and you're kind of done. I mean, I went through that with my grandmother. You know, she kind of she got misdiagnosed with pancreatic cancer. We're sitting in the office and the doctor is like... Yeah, so this is what you have, and there's nothing we can do. So um, you want to either just enjoy the rest of your life or go through the treatment. But if I were you, we'd just probably just enjoy whatever time you have left. And we're like, what? Yeah, so. I, and, and many pieces, like, I don't know, one of the top four, you know, it's it's brutal. And uh, the reason it's so difficult to diagnose is because the symptoms, you know, they're pre- present in many other, you know, you know, yeah. obviously less serious conditions. And By the time um, you go for that biopsy, you know, with the, behind the stomach, it's like you it's kind of – Exactly that, Over. exactly that. And, yeah, and I'll never forget him ringing. We were playing in Wales in a place called St. David's Hall here, big gig in Cardiff. Uh, on that very day when he rang me, and he rang me while I was I was in the toilet, he called me and, and he told me he just had the biopsy and that's what it was. And um, he couldn't do that gig. Obviously, he wasn't playing. We have a good friend of us standing at the time at the nails. Um, but yeah, you, do, you don't forget those things. And it's, it's just awful. It took so long, same thing, diagnosing him, you know. But um, yeah. What do you do, life now? It's just it's a bitch, and uh, yeah. all you can do is make the best of it. While you, uh, and and he certainly did that. And I know he'd be extremely happy in what we've done since. You know, um, he knew what this band was about. He and I formed it. He, he got it. You know, where we diverse we diversified a bit too much because we were all guilty of that musically. We, um, mm-hmm. you know, we went through a dark phase. He was into his industrial stuff, but we were into producers more. You know, and 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 things, and and like I said, that heavier stuff. But also, well, he was a big Frank Zappa fan and, and Captain Beefheart and stuff like that, you know, tubes right. right out there. And so he would create this really wacky music. And so there was all this kind of stuff going on. And if we diverted too much from what we were supposed to be, he would always kind of say, nah, hang on, you know, fans of this band are not into that, you know, as much as we might be, mm-hmm. you know, get your head out of your backside and get back on track. And this is what we do, you know. So, um, well, I mean, you look yeah, back yeah. and it's like you, you look at pictures of bands. You, I mean, imagine Tony Iommi standing there with like leopard spandex on. And I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't think it, it would have worked, you know. But meanwhile, I mean, like, you guys got this music and, you know, you're influenced by all these heavier bands. But dressing like that, I can imagine how the image did sort of detract maybe some of the audience or, you know, maybe making them think that you weren't what you necessarily right? were. Well, it's not just the audience. I mean, to be honest, that in, to a certain extent, that was lesser. We were hindered more by the music business and continue to be now, even now. Like I said, in the UK and Europe, they, they will lap up the American bands when they come over here, but it's coming from your own backyard. Mm, not so sure about that, you know. Yeah, definitely. It talks about that a lot. It took them forever to make it big in the home country, but in America, they were eating up pyromania. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and the management did that, you know, and that's an interesting point as well, because that was one of the first things that the management, you know, if you get some decent management behind your record company, they wanted to do. They wanted to take you to the States and, you know, get you breaking in America time and time again. Because what you had in the like 60s, 70s particularly was, you know, the British invasion in Canada and America, you know, all the British bands took over, really. Yeah. Well, by the time the 80s came around, the opposite was happening. You know, you guys were flooding our market. Bon Jovi was just running the world. Exactly. And, and everything that As came after should, that. should, by the way. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Incredible <laughs> song. So I, I got no problem with it. But that's what happened. And But the music business 
and still we the, this stigma we have attached around us um it still hinders us today I, there's no question about it you know they will pick they will go and get festivals will go and get they'll pick a, a random band that probably sold zero records because they're American and they'll put them on the bill. They'll the call it we had, boys or kicks. <laughs> well, well, whatever. And I, I love those bands, believe it or not. I mean, Betty, they were like yeah, our favorite great bands. Guys. But, but, but they, you know, that's what they'll do. They'll, they'll come and pick just because they're from the United States, you know, whatever they'll, they'll put them on, but, and they'll ignore us. Well, it's, like well, exotic. it's exotic. So, so tell me the, the band starts in early eighties. You get Stevie, you, you, you go through the lineup changes. You had a difficult album with that one we were just talking about. What keeps you going? Why don't you just say, the hell with this? I'm just going to go, you know, drive a lorry. Well, when we, we kind of did, we split up for, we did the third album, Wasbones, which is a terrific record. And um, that, basically what happened after Berserk, that went kind of through the roof in Europe. Young and Crazy did better out there with you guys in Canada, America, because from Music for Nations, it had a direct release through Combat, I think it was. They were like a parent company. When it got to Berserk, whatever deal Music for Nations had had with Combat, it 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 gone. So whilst Berserk went kind of through the roof in Europe, and you could, it didn't have a proper release in the United States or Canada. So people are less, you know, they're more familiar with like that first album. But after the second album, Berserk, we just thought, Music for Nations had taken us kind of as far as, as they could. So we, and ironically, the connection came from a guy called Combat, uh, Scott Gibbons from Combat. He moved to this company called Amuse, who were like a Japanese media company. And they were big, you know, put setting up some big stuff in, in America and they signed us and um, moved all our business there. We spent, man, like $200,000 on the next record. We recorded in the UK, in Rockfield. We recorded in, in LA and New York. We had all the photos done in New York. Documentary was all happening. And then literally, we, we took about two years to make that record. And then overnight, the I don't know what, we still don't know what happened, but uh, somebody from Japan came over and shut the whole company down. I mean, literally overnight. Took our record and said, wow. you're not having it back. We couldn't even go out and play under our own name. We would, And this is before the internet, where we were like ringing up people in Japan who don't even speak English at the time. There was no email or none. We're talking like 1991 or something. And we were just like, what, what do we do now? You know. Um, so yeah, we we kind of split up. The band carried on for a while. I left. Uh, we and we literally didn't speak for about twelve or more years. Two thousand six, when it came back around, where the darkness kind of kickstarted the scene again, certainly here in the UK, the Europe, and people wanted to release our records, and they started talking about us. And that that somebody wanted to reissue. I think it was Sanctuary and labels like that. You know, the Maiden guys label yeah. and. They um they wanted to, they were doing that for a lot of bands not just us and then they put out those out and then you know people said well will you come and play this this festival and me and Pepsi were like oh, I, I was on to get into that idea Pepsi was very much not into doing it um and we were like well it could be cool you know but anyway the longest story he and I got together and we said look we'll do it but only on the terms of when we want to do it you know and we'll come in we'll do that and then we'll go again it ain't going to take over our lives again and. And the next thing, we're playing like Sweden Rock and this Locus Massive Festivals with Twisted Sister, Whitesnake, and, and it's just like boom, and it all, off it goes again. Um, unfortunately, then Pepsi got ill uh, and passed in 2000, very quickly after that all kind of started again. Mm. And it's just kind of gone on from there, really. And, and so, yeah, we, I just like, I agree with him. We just step in and step out when we want to, you know, and so it doesn't really rule our lives like it used to. 
And I guess and it's kind of a nice thing that he got to have that one last hurrah with a little bit of the band being back out there playing big stages and getting that music played live before he, you know. Yeah, I mean, in the last gig we did to him was a festival in, in Itchy Gods of Metal. Um, with, yeah, that was big festival with Motley Crue and uh, Thin Lizzy and uh, you know, Scorpions. It was really, really terrific, Bill. But he was so ill by then. His wife, Sean, I mean, literally carried him to Italy. We, we, it was brutal. I mean, he was, there was not a lot left of him. And we released a, a video not so long ago, you know, to celebrate whatever it was, 10 years or mark 10 years of that. And made a lot of use of that footage. Um, but yeah, he got to do that. And, and yeah, that was huge. And he made sure he did that. But yeah, and then we just, since then, we just, yeah, we write some stuff, maybe put an album out. And if we think, the other thing with that, the reason why we don't probably, it's not going to be life or death. That's, that was the deal. And I made with him, but also more than that, the band works on big stages. It's a big festival, a big show band. Yeah. That it doesn't work in the club scene so well. So we're, and we don't need it for life. At least I don't, and I'm not going to do that. You know, mm-hmm. give me a gig worth playing. I'll come and play it, but I'm not going to yeah. go slogging my guts out playing 60 dates a year to, to you know, to club days. Cause I don't need to do that. Right. Um, and that's where he and I were on the same page, you know? So that's what we do. If a gig comes up we think, yeah, we'll do it. But if not, whatever, you know, well, you've got a gig in, uh, in France in May, which is cool. Pretty cool line. I've got a bunch of, you know, I mean, uh, you got Magic Touch in there, Gana Fowl, Robert John Wreck, not Robert John Mutt Lang. Uh, Tiger Tail is going to be headline. Where, where in France is this gig? Well, that one, and I say about gigs, that came about with a guy we hooked up with. And it, it was like a favor job. But, you know, I, I probably wouldn't normally do that. Yeah. Um, but um, and recently we've done um, the, the Hard Rock Hell kind of festivals over here. Pretty cool. Uh, we did a couple of those last year. They were really good. Um yeah, random gigs occasionally, you know, but um, I I don't know. I don't know where that came from. It was a friend of ours got a Jeep in, in, in France, and yeah, yeah. we every Bully now and again. on we'll, Rocks Festival, 100% yeah, I, rock and roll. Mate, I don't know. Do you know hey, what I mean? Listen, they have the greatest <laughs> festivals in, in Europe. They have a whole yeah. festival season over there. Yeah, I know. That's right. Um, but, you know, that's the thing, though. They always have and, and that's taglines it, but, like that. That's it, mate. We get to go to France, Belgium. I think we're going to ship down to Italy and do a bit of that. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's all about the crack. It's not about making it. You know, we've done that and 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 don't need it. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's the, it's the uh, the last album uh, blast in 2016. Is that the last album, or do you think that we might see another one? And and if we do. Do you try to go back to to Love Bomb and and Berserk and Young and Crazy and that sound, or do you evolve? Where are um, we in terms of new music? Well, that album, I, I think, if you're a Tiger Tales fan, that album has got it all in there. I think it's a terrific record, and it and it kind of barely raised a blip because of the way music's distributed and all the Spotify stuff. And yeah. you know, um, everybody goes about, oh, isn't it easy to make music? Yeah, and that's empowering to a lot of people, and and it's great. You can get music made and out there fairly cheaply and easily for everyone. So it gives everyone, uh, you know, a chance to, which is the positive side of it. The negative side of it, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but the fact that there's no record companies anymore, I mean proper record companies, nobody's investing in that promotion, you know, to get it out there. You, and you, and right. you just, like everything, it, it'll just disappear, you know. You, you've got to, you know, like with movies and stuff there, you, you they spend as much on, on the promotion to a movie as they do with making the movie Sometimes itself. <laughs> Exactly, and and so and music we don't do that. I think I'll make a record, put it out. It's like oh, great, it's on Spotify. You know, 
you know, it's like on yeah. YouTube and all these things. You know, it's great. But if nobody knows it's there, well, how are they going to find it? Yeah, exactly. And then, so, yeah, you know, and that that's the thing. And and to me, it's become a non-business. I have this conversation with people all the time. They go, oh, you may sell a lot of the records. And it's like, yeah, I got, you know, a 50-page statement, you know, all these thousands and thousands of streams and whatever else. And it counts for zero because there's no, it's, it's a non-business anymore, really. If you think about what a business is, you make something for an amount of money and you sell it for a profit. You know, that's the fundamentals of business. Music, you make make a product, make music, and people just steal it and put it out. They do anything they like with it. Yeah. We've had people even restart albums, you know what I mean? And, and, and you, you know, yeah, people say, oh, you could take it to court. You can't even find these people, man. They're like, they don't exist. They exist in the ether. Yeah. And it just goes on all the time. And it's just the crap, the shittiest business ever. If you made a chair or something, you would instantly be protected around patents and patents and all these things that copyright and all this stuff. Music industries do whatever they like. We use your music, whatever they want. And, and you know, and it's, the only thing you kind of, you get control over is the live situation, which ironically back in the day used to cost you more, used to lose money on playing live. Now it's the only real money maker. And don't get me wrong. It's not about the money for us. Never has been not interested in, in the money that yeah. it's all about making great music and, and getting your music in front of people. I mean, people listen to it and that's yeah. what this peacemaker thing, you know, that's great that people, they go, wow. And you think, and I'm like, yeah, oh, you think it's good. <laughs> I could have told you that 30 years ago. You know what I mean? Right. I, it's, but yeah, hey, it takes and, that and one it, person like James yeah. Gunn to be a fan of the band and giving you a placement on an HBO show. And I mean, that, hey, that's a good paycheck right there. And it's yeah. plus all the all the new fans that are coming to discover the band. So, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And I mean, you know, hopefully people will discover the whole rest of the music. It's like, I don't know, 10 other albums there. Berserk's a terrific record, you know, it's yeah. a long time to make. Top Huge 40 thing. record in the UK, by the way. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a hit yeah. album. I think in some other place in Europe. But anyway, yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a hit record. It was great. Um, but Blast is a fantastic record as well. If you like that, you like that. And the, the tunes on it are amazing. You know, they're they're well crafted songs. And and that's where I kind of never thought we fitted with that kind of LA scene. People go, well, why didn't you move to America? And we're like, I didn't fucking want to. Do you know what I mean? We're from yeah. the UK. We're from Europe, and and, and we don't do that. Well, they go, oh, you should have moved to LA. The strip. And I'm like, man, hey, we're good, man. Me and Pepsi were like. I think so. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, we didn't, you know, I, we kind of connected and we got put in that bucket with, with a lot of those bands. I mean, don't get me wrong. And then some of our best friends from bands that it's amazing to see Y and T on, on the peacemaker. Cause they're like one of our best friends. We've toured with them. Absolutely huge fan. Always have been Love Dave and Jill and all the guys. Um, but and loads of those other bands, huge fans of Rat and all the guitar riffs and all that sort of Firehouse, stuff. Firehouse, you know, all those bands. Yeah, yeah. it's I, funny because I'm actually I'm actually texting with Bobby Blotzer right now. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I, we loved them, and it, mainly because we were into the production. Bo Hill, Matt Langer, the Rat stuff was amazing. They listened on headphones. People were like, oh, you, they think it was great. But me and Pepsi were like, no, listen on headphones. You can hear all moving around your head, yep. and it's yeah. like that's what you want. You know we. We would do that. We huge into movies. We we would have effects in, in all the songs. Like you listen to some of our tunes, they've got all intros and they're all recreated and stiff sound effects from Aliens and all these great films. Um, wow. Yeah, it, you know they were productions. They weren't just like thrown down in a minute. So I, yeah, I didn't it really wasn't think just one guitar track and a bass and a couple of drum mics and you know you were into the production. Yeah, totally. And this is why we're not big on. We don't reproduce produce music that quickly because it just takes so long. I'm yeah. doing some stuff now. And you asked that question, and I, I, I don't really think it's Tiger Tail stuff. I, I may be doing something different. I don't know. I'm just writing songs, recording them, and 
I'll see where it goes. I'm kind of like, you know, I'm pushing 60 myself. I'm, I'm thinking it's a bit hard to go out there, as you say, in your spandex and, and putting your makeup on it. You know, you're not getting any younger. I'm thinking I, I need something to maybe move into as I get a bit older. I, I don't know. I'll, yeah. I'll hey, listen, I'm ready for a Jay Pepper solo album. Come on, bring it on. Let's go. <laughs> I think it's probably you and me. That'd be about it. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll convince Jeremy to get into it. And, and uh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Gunn uh, will, will, will probably love it, too. James will probably love it, too. Yeah. By the way, he, we, give, give, uh, give him our number. We, we need to get him on. I want to I know how he made his choices for music. Anyway. Yeah. You should. I, I mean, he's got he's so, um, his profile on Twitter. He seems happy to talk to, you know, you guys, you'd love this, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 Talk about Kiss, talk about uh, Rat, talk about Tiger Tails, talk about all of it. Yeah, Martin, uh, Wigwam. We yeah, love our like Wigwam. Band. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He, pull, and he puts those playlists out, and I don't know, he, he keeps doing it for all the films. I think he said he liked like 400 songs or something. So, yeah. Very privileged to be part of that. And, and yeah, thank, thank you. If you, know, you watch this, James, thank you so much. I, it's cool, man. And uh, everybody else listened to the other records. They're great, really great music, you know, so. Yep, absolutely. Can't do any more than that. Yeah. Well, you hopefully he'll watch this. He watched that. He, um, I'm interrupting you, but he, but he did, he did like our uh, all gay Stan Nelson wigwam interview. So, yeah, oh, there we go. Yeah. All right, wrap it up. Sorry about that. We'll get him. We'll get him on to talk Peacemaker. Uh, HBO Max original series Peacemaker. It's available streaming now uh, wherever you stream the incredible stuff in Crave TV in Canada, uh, HBO Max in the U.S. And I don't know where you can get it over in uh, in the U.K. If you have, I don't know if it's on Channel Four or like what's, what's the HBO. I don't think it's out. Yeah, I don't think it's out here over here yet. This normally those things come on the Sky channels, but okay. uh, it, it hasn't appeared yet. So I mean, and you know, things our songs and the other songs are like kind of wow, going mad on Spotify and all these things. It hasn't even hit over here, you know what I mean? In Europe, yeah. so it's still got that wave to uh, to come as well. So well, that'll be a fun that. wave to ride when it happens. Tiger Tales, yeah. Love Bomb Baby, featured on the series. Uh, check it out on the official Peacemaker playlist on Spotify and wherever you stream, courtesy of James Gunn's Spotify playlist. Uh, wow, thanks a lot. This is so great to chat. I'm going to go and discover more of the mu- some more of the uh, Tiger Tales music, and we'll talk more about production and the songs uh, next time. Yeah. Listen to it, mate. Definitely. That's what it's at. Definitely. Yeah. That's yeah. what it's at. Yeah. Tiger Tales Blast. We don't, we don't, go we blast. Don't, we don't, we don't, we, we don't record this thing in five minutes. Listen to the intro blast and that first tune. I, 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 I mean, that, that's serious stuff created. You know what I mean? And I'm a big Mutt Lang yeah. fan. I love the production, so it'll it'll be fun to listen. Wow. Yeah, without a doubt. Me too. Huge. All right. Sounds good. Thanks Thank a lot you, for chatting. We'll, uh, we'll keep in touch. All right, guys. It's great to talk to you. Thank you very much. You too. Right. Cheers. Bye-bye now. All the best, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Now back to the Mitch Lafon and Jeremy White Show. We are speaking with uh, singer Hannes Brown of the band Kissing Dynamite, their new album, Not the End of the Road, currently number two on the German charts. Uh, as we say here in Montreal, bonjour, Hannes. How are you? I'm good. Nice to talk to you. Pleasure to talk to you. And uh, normally I'd be joined by my uh, co-host Jeremy White, but... I don't know. He's gone missing in action. But let's talk about this album. I mean, you're, as as it says in the press release, a revival of 80s German metal. So, Accept and Scorpions and all that stuff. Talk to me as a new band about going back and getting that sort of hard melodic rock sound. Because, you know, we everybody says, well, rock is dead and you don't... And yet, here you are, number two on the charts in Germany. Great music and, of course, part of the Peacemaker soundtrack. Talk to me about making that sort of old melodic rock, making it new again. 
Well, I would like to start with the rock is dead quote. Uh, I'm really getting pissed off if I uh, listen um, to that and, and uh, if I read about that bullshit. I mean, this is uh, um, Gene Simmons telling us, and he's a billionaire, you know, that uh, became a billionaire with what? With rock. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and, and he's still selling out stadiums with his band Kiss. I mean, I love Kiss. It's no, no offense against the music from Kiss. I love that music. But he's still uh, selling out stadiums um, all over the world. And he really tells uh, the world, rock is dead. I can't believe it. And um, I would so much disagree on this because in, in, in a lot of ways, because rock is, first of all, an attitude. It's something that you feel inside. If you're not comfortable with all the rest that's going on, if you have a rebel inside, that's rock. Uh, we feel that so much, and a lot of other people feel that so much too. And as long as uh, this feeling is alive, rock is alive, you know? So, um, and when it comes to the music and the, uh, the, the, uh, how do you call it the success with sold cds and stuff of course i mean you can't compare it with the 80s or the 90s where um you could sell big multi-platinum awards with with your record of course these times are more difficult uh, than back in the days but who fucking cares we don't do that to to become billionaires we do this music because we love it you know and um, I mean, it's great to see uh, the charts um, result that we have in Germany on number two. I mean, that's practically number one. <laughs> so um, this, um, again, is actually a sign that rock can't be dead. Because if it, if it reaches so many people uh, here in Germany and also some other countries uh, that we get great feedback, then it can't be dead. It, it must be alive. And I believe that it will stay alive forever. So let me, uh, in all in, in all respect to Kiss and Gene Simmons, fuck this quote. Please, forever, fuck this quote. Listen, I fully agree. A and you look at who's uh, playing stadiums this summer or playing stadiums over the last few years. It's Metallica. It's Def Leppard. It's Journey. It's rock bands. Yeah. <laughs> it's rock bands. Yeah. And... and it's also very myopic in the sense that it might perhaps be less popular in the States, but you go to Vakken, you go to Hellfest, you go to Europe, you go see FM, you go see Thunder, you go see the Dan Reed Network, you go see Kissing Dino, Gothard. There is a lot of great new music being made in Germany, England, Sweden. It's alive. It's, it's just alive, not al yeah. It's maybe not alive in Wisconsin, but it's alive. Europe. I mean, all those bands I've named in the last 10 years have put out three, four, five albums each. All great stuff. They're all doing great shows over in Europe. It, Absolutely. It, it's a dumb quote. It really Absolutely. Um, but talk to me about, about you guys coming into the business and you go, we're a rock band and we're going to do melodic hard rock. We're going to do you know, we're going to do what we love. You're even named after an ACDC song for crying out loud. Mm -hmm. um, you didn't worry about charts and you didn't have people in the record companies going, ah, dude, you should boot a little more, you know, modern. You should really, you should change your sound. Did you not face any of that? 
and that good that you talk about that because that's the the initial point where we feel different from all the rest uh, of the music business because we didn't approach an an uh, a label with um with uh, with ourselves uh, telling them okay now we want to become successful musicians what shall we do um we approached labels when we had our finished first uh, demo uh, ep um more than uh, how, how many years is it almost 15 years ago so uh, of course, they could have sent us away and uh, telling us, okay, well, this music was popular 30 years ago. Uh, you should do this and that now. But if they told us so, we simply, our answer would have been, okay, then fuck off. Then we go to the next. But uh, the, the, the funny thing is we didn't uh, even have to search long because I think um, in re retrospective, they uh, might have found that pretty hilarious and pretty interesting that, uh, well, basically we were kids, 15, 16 years old, coming to their big label houses um, with a music that um, was more or less pl played in the 80s. And um, I guess it might have been so weird to them that it already felt like, okay, this can be really successful. But to us, it never was um, the question if if uh, this is the thing that we get successful with or uh, if we should do something else. For us, it was our heart project. We created Kissing Dynamite because we love Bon Jovi, we love the Scorpions, we love Def Leppard, we love ACDC, Iron Maiden, to, just to name a few. And those bands had this magic um, that you cannot put in words to me, at least uh, uh, magic for us. And um, we magic for me too. You just mentioned all my favorite bands, by the way. So okay, well there you go. <laughs> and so, uh, so we basically wanted to pay tribute to our big heroes with our first record that uh, was released two thousand eight. And you can clearly hear that we didn't have a style or anything. It's there. There was a song that reminded exactly of ACDC. Then there was a song that reminded of uh, Iron Maiden. Another one of uh, the Scorpions. It was like a very, very colorful picture uh, that that had no red line, so to speak. And this is the only thing that we developed over the years to to put it all in the melting pot, so to speak, to purify uh, the, the Kissing Dynamite trademark sound. And this took a while and we wanted that for ourselves. No label told us, no producer told us, no management told us. We wanted that for ourselves. And um, over the records that came, um, we more and more felt, okay, now this is it. And we finally felt um, that we arrived with our last album, Ecstasy. I don't know if you know that one. But um, from this moment, we, we knew, okay, this is it. This is Kiss and Dynamite. We don't change a fuck from now on. And so Not the End of the Road picks up exactly where uh, Ecstasy ended. So, uh, of course, with new songs and new colors here and there, but uh, this is the trademark sound of Kissing Dynamite, and we're so much proud of it. And even prouder, of course, to see that it gets received well uh, to, a, to a big audience already. Uh, but we, we never made it um, to, to become Ferrari drivers. <laughs> Yeah, though, though that wouldn't hurt. All right, so let's let's talk about this yeah. Peacemaker show uh, that's going on currently in the states. It's not a, it's not really yeah. available in Europe yet. 
Your song Six Feet Under gets picked for the soundtrack. First of all, tell me about how does how does that happen? How does do they just reach out and or you know? And then what does it mean for the band? Because that now puts you on a next level. All of a sudden, millions of people are hearing your song and going, "Oh, I like that." Honest answer? Yeah. I don't have a fucking clue. It's like uh, <laughs> it's need for neither of your questions. I didn't know how it was possible. Uh, because we we didn't approach them or uh, they didn't approach us they more or less approached and uh, uh, the public, record company you know uh, yeah the record company and the publishing of course we've seen a mail once in a while that uh, some american series wants to pick our uh, song and we thought oh, okay cool <laughs> uh, but um and and we 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 already seen that it's with john cena right yeah um a big wrestling star and yeah. um uh, um a lot of years ago me and my brother we uh watched this uh big wrestling show uh, what what was the name again um uh that's a good question i i don't know i don't know but, well uh, it doesn't even matter right. but but uh, J john cena uh was a big star of this wrestling uh competition too and uh, so we were quite uh, surprised and of course a little uh, uh well uh um overwhelmed by the news but um of course it's good promotion here and uh, that the song is now available to an audience that we normally wouldn't reach is also great stuff i mean really great stuff but honestly i haven't seen um an episode so far right um you you named it um we we don't have it here in europe when it comes out i'm definitely gonna check it out but so far i don't get any um uh, feedback or any approach to it because we simply have no uh, have no way of watching it and and, and that's yes, what exactly. but that's what's that's what's great about this in a sense is that you're getting this first wave of attention from north america and yet six months from now you're going to get the second wave of attention so it's it it's got to be great yeah. for the band to get that sort of double tsunami coming at you you know of, of publicity sure, sure. and of interest and yeah you know. sure um so does it change anything though for you i mean are you noticing more streams are you noticing more interviews are you noticing more interest are people going oh they're on that show okay it's got to help well um i would say so that we um or for me personally since i do the most interviews i i'm talking a lot to um us and canada right now that's that's actually true but also to a lot of um, other uh, countries which i never did interviews before uh, for example india and then uh, a week ago there was uh, an interview to that that was so funny uh, an interview to what was the name of this island uh hold on a second aruba <laughs> the far Faroe Islands, oh, you know the, where the that Faroe is. Faroe Islands, yeah, 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 yeah. Faroe Islands. So I, I never been there, but this landscape looks just amazing. And um, yeah. for for me, it's always okay. I'm the little guy from from uh, the village uh, up in the Swabian Mountains, and now I'm talking to uh, a lot of people worldwide. It still um, confuses me after 15 years, and uh, I guess that's a good thing because we know where we come from. Yeah, and, and let me ask you this, because when you look at the soundtrack and you look at some of the bands on there, you're talking The Poodles, you're talking Wigwam, you're talking 
London Choir Boys. Uh, I know them all. Right. And there's a lot of older music in the sense that these are bands that have been around for 20 years or so. Do you like being grouped in with those with those names or do you go, oh, come on, we're a fresh band? Or how do you sort of see that? I think it's great. I, I always um, love the Poodles. I yeah, think Jacob's really great. Jake yeah, an amazing singer, and uh, to to be in line with the Poodles, I, I'm I feel comfortable. I don't have any problems with that. And I mean, um, even if not, we couldn't help it, right? <laughs> so we yeah, you just uh, take it, yeah. So so uh, take it or leave it, yeah. And um, it's uh, no, it's cool for us. And also, I think also this um, from from pictures that I see from this series, um, uh, really, it appears to me some to, to like some rock slapstick show is that basically right or i haven't seen it myself quite frankly it's okay. a, it, it's okay. it's on a channel in canada that i don't have access to because ah, I, okay. I don't i don't subscribe so. okay 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 but, but so we'll find out both <laughs> we'll find out both of them. now jeremy loves it he he watches it my co-host watches it uh okay. you know, religiously and thinks it's the greatest thing on tv so all right okay it probably is. It probably is. Um, let me ask you this. You mentioned uh, Bon Jovi before, and I'm just going to take this up with you because I'm a Bon Jovi, huge Bon Jovi fan. Are you one of these Bon Jovi fans that have stuck with them all through the years and think that they're still doing great stuff? Or are you one of these that go, ah, they stopped being good when Richie left? And You know what? I'm being pretty direct. Uh, I don't like the new stuff. Okay. I, I uh, don't get the... Um the country stuff that they're doing nowadays and and sorry but to me it appeals like country rock um what they are doing nowadays i can understand that from one perspective because of course they are getting older too and um maybe if you pass your 60 uh 60s then you don't want to be the the rebel anymore that screams in the highest notes i totally get that but uh, for me personally, I like the wilder, rougher side of Bon Jovi much more. For me, Slippery When Wet is the album in rock. Amen. I agree. It's my favorite. And, it's, it's the and, one that got me back into rock, I got to tell you. So Yeah, and, and, and this is the, the style of Bon Jovi that I love the most. And, and the song Social Disease is great. I don't care what anybody says. Yes. I'll, I'll just put that out there. Um, in terms of building it for a new band... Do you have sort of a five-year plan where you say, "Listen, if we're not playing the uh, the arena in Dusseldorf by 2025, we're just going to pack it up and go home"? Or how do you see the future playing out in terms of success, and what keeps you motivated to keep this doing and not go, "Ah, fuck it, it's not working." Well, we we said to each other uh, on the 13th of february 2024 we must uh <laughs> we, we must have sold 100,000 uh, cds um and uh, or we're gonna quit no of course not i mean um such um such um but there ideas. is a business plan that that has to be part of it it can't just well be... some some bands do that and i guess that's um that's more a company thing and of course a band is also partly a company but um you know i am a full professional musician i live right. with and buy music for uh, a decade now and that makes me very proud 
but it's not just a band. It's I'm a full-time producer and f- um, professional songwriter. Okay. So I I don't, um, and I think that's a good thing to not be so much uh, in trouble in in your mind thinking, oh shit, okay, the band must be taken on the next level because I have to pay my rent, I have to pay this and that and uh, my existence, you know, right. uh, what, you know what I'm talking about. It, it gives me uh, super relaxed feelings because my work as a producer and songwriter uh, besides uh, Kissing Dynamite is going very, very well. And um, for the rest of the band, uh, some uh, similar um, uh, realities are true. So we never have this uh i don't know the english word for this but um such a super serious um approach uh, i mean because there, 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 there is a point where band gives way to brand and you have to worry about the brand and you have to worry about yeah, yeah well don't get me wrong I, I mean all that we do we do that with seriosity and we want to if we put out something a new record or new merch and everything we we don't um, uh, smile and uh, say okay take that shit we don't like it <laughs> yeah, ourselves yeah. Um, uh, we do that with all seriosity and uh, with all our heart right. it's just not the thing that we say okay this must be the next big selling thing or we have to quit and be in uh, working in a bakery you know right. this this is a very good and relaxed feeling from the inside and i would say this is even an engine not um not, not an uh a stopping or braking system so to speak because um you do it with with joy still you know and and joy uh, keeps you being motivated over all those years we we hardly had no lineup change we had had our first lineup change last year and i would practically say it had to do with the pandemic uh, because it changed a lot in people's minds but um it shows actually that we didn't have much of lineup changes because we all did it and still do it with a lot of joy right and you have a vision um yeah in, in terms of songwriting you mentioned you're a songwriter is that something that you want to, you know, do you want to be sort of a Desmond child where you're writing songs and handing them off to John and to Joe and to all these guys? Or, or do you want to just write for local German television? And do you see yourself moving away from being a front man and just being one of these guys? You're, you know, you're, you're the next... You, you, you see me smiling, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, of course, uh, I love to, uh, to write songs for other artists and also artists that uh, are really successful. I mean, that's the, the, the coolest thing about it. Um, but to, to answer your last question, um, I can't imagine to quit the band uh, just for the songwriting. Um, for me, both is very equally important to, to myself. Um, and, you know, when it comes to these big names that you mentioned, I mean, um, it would be heaven if uh, John Bond would take a, a song that I've written. This is probably not going to happen. And um, no, uh, But, but, but uh, of course, this is in my dreams. Um, but right now I'm, I'm doing very well over here in Germany and also partly to uh, some European bands. And I'm, uh, I don't know, do you know a band called Thunder Mother? I do. The, the girl band. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I interviewed Thunder Mother. And I, I, I wrote, have a, well, I have a Thunder shirt today, though. It's not Thunder. Ah, okay. I wrote um, Dog from Hell with my girlfriend, Anna. Oh, you nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
uh, I oh, wrote that's the, great. That, that song for them. And um, so there are plenty of artists and bands that I worked for already. Uh, for example, also Beyond the Black, but that's more of a symphonic metal band. I don't know I if you know that. Um, and uh, of course, I, I love to get bigger and <clears throat> more... Um, more known as a songwriter also not just as a singer of kiss and dynamite but you know uh, time will tell <laughs> time, time will tell let me ask you this just uh, from a language perspective you you've chosen obviously to sing in english there are yes. bands like megawatt out of uh, switzerland that sing in i guess german or swiss or whatever they call it uh talk to me about that in terms of of choosing english as a language and not being like Nina Hagen and do or not Nina Hagen uh, Nina and doing 99 Luftballons and 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 picking yeah. English as your language and not German. That's an interesting question because I guess I never really thought about it. It's uh I would actually say it's because of our heroes. And and they were never um artists that sang in our mother tongue. As I mentioned, it was the Scorpions. I listened a lot to the Scorpions as a child, um, uh, uh, even. Uh, I needed to hear these records to, to, to calm down and fall finally asleep because I couldn't if I didn't uh, listen to the music. And uh, same for Bon Jovi and uh, also Accept. And that's also an interesting thing. Accept is a German band. Scorpions is a German band and they sang in English. So I basically thought this is the way to do it you know i never questioned yeah. it and so for me it was logical to do it in english too since and and i guess we're doing quite good in english so um it was not a blockade or barrier or um you know but more of a challenge you know it we wanted to sound international of course yeah. uh, and that uh, that um you know you can uh, put i know well, now, now this might sound arrogant. It's not meant arrogant. If you uh, take Bon Jovi, Scorpions, and Kissing Dynamite, we didn't want to fall out. You know, we wanted right. to to have the same uh, level of internationality. And yeah. so, and English so, is the international language. I mean, you know, that's true. And, and, and I can't uh, speak uh, Mandarin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, so, which is very popular. But, yeah. but you know, Mike Tramp of White Lion just put out an all-Danish album, and it's getting no press because, you yeah. know, uh, unless you're living in Denmark, it's it's sort of inaccessible. Uh, Connie Bloom of Electric Boys did an all-Swedish album, and you're just like, that's great. Well, it sounds interesting, but you don't feel what they uh, want to express, right? And um, yeah. uh, talking about Nina Hagen. Um, yeah, I meant course. I meant Nina from 99 Luftballon, but Nina Hagen is great, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you mean, meant Nina, okay. But, um, of course, there are bands and artists, just to name uh, Rammstein um, also, that were some kind of miracles, because with their mother tongue they even would break in in the american canadian uh, australian english market uh, which i found is impressive uh, but um that's just not um common that's it it's just it's well, it's, it's, it's true. a miracle it's true and being in montreal or in quebec we've had you know uh, celine dion and and uh, all kind of rock Wazine who who come out in french and they french and they french. And then they go nowhere, and then they do an English album, and suddenly, ah, Vegas Residency, Titanic. Mm -hmm. 
And that's why I ask, because it's nice to do your own stuff, but at some point, if you want to get to that next level, yeah, it has to be in English. I mean, it's, it's, not, totally. a, it's yeah. not a political statement, it's just... It's, Absolutely. It just is. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, uh, there you go. Uh, not the end of the road, available now, uh, currently number two in Germany, and as we say in Montreal, merci beaucoup, thank you so much, absolute pleasure, and I love the music, it's great music. Thank, thank you so much, Mitch. Yeah. Was a pleasure talking to you too. You too. An all new episode of the Mitchell Fine and Jeremy White Show. Tuesday at noon. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews, bonus content, and episodes on demand now. Visit youtube.com slash Jeremy White Show. Follow Mitch and Jeremy on Twitter. Yeah, they're verified at Mitch Lafon and at Jeremy White MTL.